This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How was your 4th of July? My 4th of July was good. It was pretty laid back. Uh, I didn't get out too much, but I had some uh, good old American food, cheeseburgers, brats, that kind of stuff, and uh, hung out with the family and watched Hamilton on Disney+. Plus. So it was my perfect kind of celebration of America's independence. Nice. That sounds awesome. I have not checked out Hamilton yet because I don't have like the Disney Plus channel, but um, I did see that play in person when it was in Chicago. I think you saw it in New York and it yep. is everything it was billed to be. Yeah, it it really is. I, I wrote a piece kind of reflecting on it for The Pulse uh, last week for the 4th of July issue. And the date that me and my wife saw it was literally the day after it was recorded for the broadcast that you can watch on Disney Plus. <laughs> So like we we were literally there right after that performance had been captured. And, and it was really nerve wracking because we were like, OK, they just spent all day doing a professional filming of the production. I got a feeling that the the principal actors are probably going to take a day off to recover from that. And like literally seeing it the day after we were like, we're not going to get to see any of the original cast. <laughs> like They're all going to be <laughs> taking a day off. Uh, but luckily, none of them. None of them were were absent. They were all there the day after. So we got to see that original cast. And then to get to relive that on Disney Plus. And and by the way, like seeing Hamilton live is incredible. But like if you're never going to see it live, uh, the Disney Plus version is so good. Like it is by far the best filmed production of a Broadway show I have ever seen. And I, I would guess that has ever been done. Uh, so like you're, you're not missing anything by watching the recorded version of it. It is, it is really, really good. So if you don't have Disney plus, you can get like a seven day free trial. We're not sponsored by Disney plus. I wish we were, but I I just (laughs) really like Hamilton and I encourage everybody to go check it out. Disney plus, please get on this. Matt Marcon, you are, uh, you are, you're probably very high up in the decision-making process in the Disney Corporation now, so you should probably get them to sponsor a podcast. I should, um, yeah. I'll, I'll lean on Matt and my connection over there for that. <laughs> I will say this about uh, Hamilton as well. You know me. I'm a huge sports fan, ridiculous sports geek. I would pay four times as much for a Hamilton ticket to see that again than I would to go to any sporting event. Like, it is, it's just like that much better and that amazing of an experience. Um Maybe I wouldn't say that if I like hadn't gone to a lot of sporting events by now, but um, it is it's just it blew me away. And I'm not a th- any expert on like what makes good theater or not, but it was awesome. Well, I, I would say that if you were trying to see Hamilton in New York around July when we saw it, you probably would have paid five times as much to go see it than to go see <laughs> a, a sporting event. The the Secondary market for Hamilton tickets was absolutely through the roof ridiculous. Like we when we were walking up to the theater with our tickets, like those tickets were priceless. Like it, it's it's so bizarre to think back to like the anxiety of printing our tickets off in the hotel lobby and being like, there's going to be a second where they're going to be there and we're not going to be there. And we have to run over and get the tickets as soon as they print out, because literally those tickets were worth thousands of dollars at that point to see the show that (laughs) night so and Lin-Manuel Miranda left the following week so like we couldn't have gotten the sweet spot any closer than we did considering we bought our tickets in February 
So <laughs> it was it was pretty wild. Uh, uh, what else? What else about Fourth of July? Were you out and about in the county at all? What did you see people doing outside? Um, I was, and I, and, and just talking to a bunch of different people around the county who told me they felt like this was the busiest they've ever seen it. I don't, I don't know. We we tend to say that anytime there's a big busy weekend up here, we go, well, this is the, it's never been busier. But um, the it it is it was kind of shocking how swamped it was. Um, I had family in town from the Chicago area who all got, you know, they came up because they wanted to see um, my son Connor and see their cousin for the first time and or nephew, depending on which of the family members I'm talking about. They all got tested for COVID before coming up and um, all tested negative, thankfully. But so we were as a bigger group, we kind of had really isolated where we went and tried to go to um, beaches or parks that weren't very packed, or we just hung out at our house and cooked a bunch of food. But even just going around a little bit, you just drive through the towns and yeah, the, the bars and restaurants were um, overwhelmed. I'm glad I wasn't working in one of them this weekend. And a big shout out to all the people who were because absolutely that had to be somewhat uncomfortable at times to, to be around so many people. But um, yeah, I mean, it was it was beautiful weather. I, I talking to boat rental folks, they they were just cleared out of rental availability for days um probably as busy as they've ever been uh the boat tours seem to be really um packed so hopefully fingers crossed there wasn't a heck of a lot of spread um of the virus hopefully everyone was smart not a ton of masks out there but um yeah fingers yeah. are crossed well and, and it's hard too to to gauge the amount of mask wearing when you see people like out and about because there's there's kind of a line between like when you should wear a mask and when you shouldn't when you're interacting with another person absolutely you should be wearing a mask when you go into a store when you're uh, sitting down next to folks absolutely masks are are to be worn then but uh like just walking down the street in fish creek i i tend to err on the side of just wearing my mask but i i know that you know when you're walking for those long stretches you might just pass somebody i don't know what the the danger of spreading the virus and just passing next to somebody on the sidewalk is but you know it's one of those things where i tend to wear my mask but i know a lot of people carry their masks with them when they're walking to and from places so it can be hard to judge and i always try to not to judge folks right away because like i'll see people in their cars and i'm like look at them without their masks but it's like i'm also not wearing my mask in my car so i can't right you know what i mean it, it becomes one of those and things where it's like if you don't see somebody wearing a mask it's not like they're not wearing masks it, you just might not need it in the moment or you might have forgotten it you know like i've definitely done that now i've got to the point where i've now got four or five masks and i have one in each car and i try to leave one at work and i try to give myself different options because i know i forget right. and um and my parents occasionally forget as much as it drives me freaking crazy. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's it's the the judgmentalness has to stop on on both sides of this, I would say. Um, but for people who just like blow it off, I think that's just totally callous. But um, I'm starting to try and err on the side of just wearing it more and more, even when I'm outside, kind of like you, mainly just to as a representative of our business and and this paper and for whatever reason, someone that people ask what they should do <laughs> of me. So I'm like, well, I better show what I think they should do and not just blow it off. So I'm right. trying to do that more and more. Um, but I also will take it off and breathe a little bit and breathe some fresh air when people aren't around. So um, that whenever you see someone, that might be their moment to do that. Um, yeah. So, you know, you or if you're eat, or if you're eating, or you're enjoying beverages, it's like it is really hard to take a drink, put the mask back on, sit there, take it off, take a drink, take a bite. You know, like so, it just 
talk on the phone sometimes. Like I was talking on the phone to you as as we got ready to do this podcast and you couldn't hear me. It's because I was wearing a mask over my face. So yeah. That's well, and, and like the, the eating thing, if you're at a restaurant, if you're outside and your food's been served, you're, you're free to take your mask off and eat your food. Like, like nobody's going to be looking at you like, hey, you should put your mask back on between bites. It's not one of those things. Um, <laughs> Although I'll, you say that, but I think I, you see people post this on social media where they will say, look at this, I drove by this outdoor restaurant. Look, nobody wearing masks. It's like, well, yeah, they're, they're all purchasing food and beverages. Right. Like if we want, if we're okay with the economy running, we do have to be okay with certain levels, I guess, of risk, I would say, but also like common sense here. Yeah. And the, the, the science points to, you know, being outside socially distanced, your likelihood of spreading to somebody who's not within your party, probably low. Uh, I'm still, I, I guess I'm still not comfortable eating outside at a restaurant. I'm still the type of person who will take my food to go and go somewhere else to eat it where I know, you know, I'll be able to spread out a little bit more. But I, I also don't look down on people who are frequenting restaurants and, and, and that kind of stuff. There's something to be said about like taking care of people, making sure that people can stay home. Uh, unfortunately, that's, you know, we've seen big failings from the, the federal government, from the local government, from all of that stuff to make it so that we can't do that. So in on, on the other side of that fence, like people have to go back to work and it's good that we're able to support the businesses that that we love. Um, so I, I'm, I'm never going to judge somebody who's sitting outside at a patio who's eating because like they're they're helping that business survive this really hard time. So uh, it's, yeah. it's one of those things. And, and I also wanted to mention too, you, you, you said that your family got COVID-19 tests. Are those still the, the giant like 12 inch long swab that goes in your nose? Because I saw a video of somebody getting one at a, at a drive up facility and I was like, boy, I hope I never get COVID-19 just because I can't, I don't think I can go through that. You know, I'm not, I, I didn't ask. I just, I just knew what their result was. <laughs> yeah, I'd be interested to know because I know that there's the the big swab in your nose, but then I think that there's uh, some other forms of tests as well. I just know that like whenever I've gotten the tongue depressor at the doctor's office, I gag so hard I cry. So I can't imagine how I would do with a big swab in my nose like that. <laughs> um, you know, while we're talk talking about masks, uh, we should talk about some very interesting news that will be coming out Friday. Miles, um, you just did the segue. This is your first know, ever segue cool? on the podcast. It was really good. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I saw your message come through today uh, about the, the county looking at talking about mandatory masking. Tell me, tell me what this all means. So the county will have a meeting on Friday, a special meeting of the Door County Board of Supervisors. They have not set the exact time yet, but it will be Friday morning um, to discuss the possibility of issuing a countywide masking order. Dave Lenow, the county board chair, has called this meeting and he is a proponent of the order. Um, I'm guessing just from the history of the board, as of right now, it might be like a 50-50 split. Who knows hmm. what it will be on the when it's when it comes down. Because if you live in the northern part of the county, you're seeing huge crowds. You're seeing this massive influx of visitors and maybe getting a little concerned and a lot of business owners getting concerned. If you're in the southern part of the county, you might see this as a much different experience around this epidemic, um, just not with the tourist hordes. So it's more of, in many ways, similar to what it has been for several months. Sure. Um, definitely busier, but not not to the extent of Northern Door. So the, the county is so different. That's so one of the crazier things for me in covering this county is realizing that like county government is governed by the same people on Washington Island and in the middle of Sister Bay as 
that that board is also occupied by people in Brussels. And when you drive that, and you know, it's an hour and 15 minutes from end to end, it's 80 miles distance. They're, they are very different communities in, in many senses. So right. um, I don't know how this, what to expect the result of this order to be. And even if it does pass, I don't know exactly how it would be enforced. And I don't think even Dave Lee now would know how it would be enforced. I don't think you'd see cops going around enforcing it. I don't think you'd certainly not public health is walking around enforcing it. But the the purpose behind it seems to be business owners and constituents calling and asking for some sort of county guidance so that they don't have to take the brunt of this on a business by business basis. Right. That's the biggest takeaway for me is that if the county is infor- is mandating masks, even if they're not enforcing them, at least a business owner can stay, say, hey, we're not allowing anybody in without a mask. And then when they get pushback from that, they can say, yeah, it's, it's actually county mandated. So they have the county standing behind them and they're not just alone fighting this. And that's something that we've seen business owners talk about. It, it's incredibly difficult this year to try to enforce uh, a masking policy within your business because you just constantly are having people who either don't have masks with them or say, sorry, I forgot my masks or, you know, don't want to wear a mask. And then you have to kind of stand there on your own little island and say, well, then you can't come in and you get people just being rude about it. So my biggest takeaway is that even if this isn't something where you've got cops enforcing it up and down the county, you at least have that support behind business owners. Yeah, I mean, just it's kind of similar to the way restaurants run there. Yes, you get a health inspection every year and sometimes you'll get a drop in surprise visit. But for the most part, they give you the rules. And when you do stuff, you say to your employees, like if you have a 50 employee restaurant, you say, no, you have to wash it this way. And they say, oh, come on, it's faster this way. You say, no, that's the way the health department does it. It It gives you that backing to make people do a certain thing. And right. same thing with um, your customers and all the different things you have to do. It's like, nope, that's just the rule. So do it. And you don't have to have have this kind of useless debate. Right. Um, that's similar to what they're they're looking at doing now. Um, in terms they'll of be pushed back for this. In, in terms of background for this, uh, we're, we're coming up after a couple of weeks of increased cases in Door County. We're sitting at 50 cases as we're recording right now on Wednesday. Uh, but that's that's up. It's not up a lot, but it's up, I, I think, maybe five cases since we last talked about it, which was maybe two weeks ago. Um, yeah, we were, we were stagnant at about 34 cases for several weeks. And then we've gone up. Uh, we've had 16 new cases since June 15th. So just over three weeks, it's not rapid, but it, it is an increase. It is mostly younger people um, and mostly people who have not had to be hospitalized. So it's good. It, there are some that's good. Like there's more testing going on. So there's not as much risk as early on in this when, you know, we all knew people who were sick and not able to get tests who were just told to stay home. Now, anybody who's sick is getting right. the test. Anyone who's feeling symptoms is getting the test. So there's there's some positives in that. Right. Well, I should say too that the there's it's not a don't interpret this increase as a July fourth related increase. Any of these would be traced back two or three weeks ago. Um, you know, if, right? I, I can't remind people this enough, but if you if you got sick, you you likely had symptoms for a couple of days. Some people might go in right away. Someone like me, maybe now if I really felt it was a COVID symptom, I'd go in as soon as possible. But my MO historically has been, I don't go to the doctor until I'm sick for like a month. So then someone goes in, then they get tested. If their symptoms are really bad or they're in a certain profession, they might get a rapid test. But if not, then you're looking at, if you waited five days to go in, you might not get your test results for five to seven more days. 
So, and you might've got infected two weeks before you even went in in the first place. So this, any cases reported today could be traced to infections back in the middle of June. So there's no reason to think that this uptick has much to do with even the July burst of activity up here. Right. And, and that same trend you can see at the national level too. I mean, any cases that we're seeing are, are things that happen like it's two, it's a two week incubation period for people, but, uh, we're seeing the results of things that happened three to four weeks ago. Right. Correct. Uh, yep. So like, if you look at the, if you look at the national numbers, we're almost like on July 3rd, we had almost double the cases that we had reported in at the end of April. So we're we're on this big swing upwards. I think that Gore County talking about a masking policy right now is probably the right move. I mean, I would I would tend to agree, like from my personal practice and everything I'm reading and hearing is I want business to stay open. I want something as close to normal as possible. And I think taking precautions that, you know, when you look at masking, there's, I know there are deniers, but there are numerous vetted studies that show the difference it makes. Um, There's a reason doctors have used them in hospitals forever. (laughs) Um, And so if that helps us be a little bit safer and slow the spread, even a little bit, like that's a little bit closer to normalcy with very little um, effort on my part or anybody's part. So I think if we don't do those sorts of things, you risk being put in a situation like Texas, California, Florida, where they're having to curtail um, what you're able to do, closing bars. Wisconsin right now, Wallet Hub released a study. We have the second fewest restrictions in the country. If you want to keep it that way, like you want to do whatever we can to keep that spread limited, not just go, I mean, otherwise we're just crossing our fingers right, and relying on luck. So, and I don't think that's a very good strategy. So, Miles, one other thing non-COVID related that I wanted to talk about before we kind of jump back into the COVID discussion with an interview that you had with Jessica Alfaro uh, that we'll we'll get into next. I just wanted to kind of briefly touch on something. So we've covered the Black Lives Matters demonstrators up in Sister Bay and Sturgeon Bay and across the county a couple of times on the podcast. Uh, And these are folks that, for the most part, we know. Uh, We know uh, the people who are going out every day. They've been going out every day for a very long time now. And... Over the weekend, I saw a video that my friend had posted uh, showing somebody on Twitter who had taken a video standing behind the protesters up in Sister Bay and was kind of, you know, doing a panorama, showing them off and talking about how stupid they are and talking about how, you know, this is Door County and, you know, that they're protesting police violence in Door County, totally taking the wrong message away from these protesters, Um, which in and of itself is, you know, fine. People are entitled to their opinions of stuff. Uh, But he, he ends the video by holding his hand up in a finger gun gesture and one by one shooting at each one of the demonstrators. And this is something that I was horrified at. I, all of my friends who had sought it were, were horrified at. And it's something that has warranted uh, some investigation from the sheriff's department. So I thought that I would bring it up just to talk about uh, this really kind of despicable piece of social media that came out of the county this weekend. It was kind of shocking to see. Yeah. And like you said, it's an anonymous um, user who went by the, basically it was Trump fan backwards. And, and I want to get paint that as like a Trump thing or not, but just like stick to this individual. Um, His social media feed was filled with uh, anti-Black Lives Matter posts and other threatening posts where he talked about running over protesters and killing protesters. Um, Totally uncalled for. I mean, and totally, I mean, uncalled for is not even a a good word for it. I mean, just disgusting. Um, And like you said, like these are local residents. These are people who work in our restaurants, in our shops, in 
all manner. Um, we're volunteers up here of all ages. And to see someone do this, like this guy obviously doesn't know these people, doesn't know anything about them. Um, it's just gross. And especially these demonstrations have been going on for about a month up in Sister Bay and always peaceful, have not disrupted, not led to any controversy except for this idiot um, and his actions. So, I mean, I give I give credit to the, the protesters for what, what they've done and the way they've conducted themselves. And hopefully they find out who this guy, this anonymous guy <laughs> who doesn't have the guts to actually put his name to it um, is and they catch him. Right. Yeah. And it just I, I just want to echo how, how shocking it was to see, because up here in Durr County, we really don't see a lot of a lot of that. There's very little violence that goes on up here. Miles, maybe you have a different story from your time working at Husby's when, when you were young. But uh, <laughs> it, it's just it's not something that you associate with the county up here. You don't see a lot of people being hateful. You don't see a, a lot of people being violent. And and to see something like that coming out of our county in, in such a big way over the weekend on, on social media was was pretty gross to see. And uh, I, I echo your sentiments that I hope that something comes of this and that the sheriff's department is able to identify him uh, because that type of behavior is is unacceptable. Like you, you can easily say like, oh, it's just a video. It wasn't anything. But it, it, it it's very clear if you scroll through his social media page. And, and I don't recommend that you do. But uh, it, it's very clear that this is a repetitive. It's a pattern of behavior that he's had for a long time. And uh Anything like any big thing can start from something small. So the the sooner people like this have to deal with the consequences of the of their actions, the the better for the safety of everyone. Couldn't agree more. So with that, uh, why don't we jump back into a little bit more COVID talk? I'm going to send things over to your interview with Jessica Alfaro. Uh, give me just a little bit of a rundown about what the two of you talked about uh, in in relation to what we're seeing right now in Door County. Well, uh, you and I talked a lot about um, this the. The scene in Door County and uh, attitudes towards masking. And it was very interesting talking to Jessica, who worked for me 20 plus years ago at uh, when we had a little pizza shop and had always been a visitor. Hey, Danos! Yeah, yeah that one. Um, <laughs> but has, has family that has property in Door County, comes back often, now lives in Spain. Um, and just her experiences coming back from Spain, which has been on... And as much as we think we've been in a lockdown here, it's nothing compared to what they've been through in Spain, um, where they were hit very hard, very early on, on in this crisis and have taken extreme measures to main, to try and tamp down cases. And they've been successful in doing so. Um, and it was also interesting, like there there's talk of some people would say that we have we're approaching herd immunity in the U.S. that is kind of pulled out of left field, in my opinion. Spain has done a, a test of 61,000 people and found that only 5% of the population had antibodies. And that was a, a, a region that was hit really hard, really early. So you would think it would spread even farther by now. So uh, a lot of interesting things coming out of that. And it's very interesting to see her perspective as a Wisconsin um, or as a Midwesterner. I think she's from Illinois, uh, probably considers herself a Wisconsinite now, um, coming back and what she experienced here versus what she experienced in Spain. Right. Well, Miles, thank you so much for chatting with me. And uh, we will jump right into that interview coming up here next. Thank you, Andrew. Okay. Joining us today on the podcast, we have a special international guest uh, with us today, Jessica Alfaro, who uh, used to spend a few summers working in Door County. Her family has had connections here for several generations, several decades. Um, 
And she just returned from to the United States from Spain, where she has been living for eight years, uh, working for the World Bank. Jessica, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Miles. Ha- very happy to be back. Um, did I get all the, the details right there on uh, it is eight years that yeah, you've been overseas? Eight years. Our, our anniversary moved abroad um, June of 2012. And the Door County is always one of our destinations when we come back. Uh, we were here two years ago after we baptized our son. And when we knew we were coming back for this extended period of time, uh, we knew we wanted to spend at least a week here. Um, obviously, we had planned our travel and trip here uh, before the COVID uh, pandemic. <laughs> um, and, and that's what, I mean, it's, it's always great to talk to you. But <laughs> particularly now, as somebody who had just traveled internationally and has experienced um, this pandemic in a much different way, I think, than most of us in the United States and especially in Wisconsin would realize. I thought your perspective would be really helpful to our listeners and residents and other visitors who listen to this podcast um, just to, to see, uh, just for some perspective on how another region that was hit really, really hard um, very early on by this virus responded. And maybe we can start by just taking us back to the first days of this crisis in Spain, as things started to heat up there, what was it like to be over there at that time? Uh, it was a little disjointed. I think similar to places in the early days of COVID, um, you, do, you don't really understand what is happening. You don't know how serious to take it. You sort of hear, you know, people are dying, people are getting sick in Asia, and then it started to move to Italy, and then we had this fateful uh, soccer match where uh, folks from Valencia went over to northern Italy, and that was actually one of the the first uh, cases that we really had where all of these folks, all these Spaniards had gone over to Italy and then, then brought it back. Um, unfortunately, the Spanish government didn't act right away. We didn't have a lot of information. We didn't know what was happening. Um, and one of the, the days that, um, really struck for us, we have a women's March, uh, international women's day, March 8th, and the Spanish government decided to continue with that. And a lot of leaders, um, came out of that event with COVID and very shortly Hmm. after on March, March 15th. So even just a week after it moved so quickly, uh, we had a state of emergency put down, and uh, that started a hundred days of a very, very strict state of emergency for us. Um, something that was very different for us is that our state of emergency was countrywide. So in Spain, we had one plan. Uh, our Prime Minister Sanchez uh, said, "This is what we're doing. This is where we're at. We're all in this together." Um, it was, of course, very, very difficult. We had one of the strictest lockdowns. We were one of the epicenters of the COVID nineteen virus in in Europe. Uh, we were always fighting with Italy to be number one of COVID cases. Not something <laughs> that we want to be want to be known for, but. Very quickly, uh, the things that we had joined, enjoyed living in the, the the center of Madrid, we were no longer able to enjoy. So we went from being able to spend time outside in the parks or going to museums and restaurants to essentially being locked in our apartments for um, three months, 100 days, uh, where we were not able to go outside except for groceries or to go to the pharmacy for about the first half of that. I think uh, it's important, too, to to stress, like when you say we're locked in our apartments in the U.S., even here in Door County, there are people who would say, oh, we were locked down. We were shut down. We were locked and confined to our apartments. 
But when you say that, <laughs> um, you actually mean like literally like stuck inside, like really not having a lot of alternatives or an outlets to to get out of your apartment. Right. Exactly. We we were not legally allowed to go outside. So I'm married. I have a, a two year old son. Um, basically, everything was shut down and closed. All businesses uh, were closed. Our son's daycare was closed. My husband's university was closed. Essentially, the only thing that was open at this point in time uh, were grocery stores, uh, pharmacies, hospitals, obviously, were open, and very, very few essential services. Something that was very, very difficult for us as a family and very difficult for our son is that children were not allowed outside uh, during this period of time. So my two-year-old son was not allowed outside for seven seven weeks, excuse me. Um, Legally, he was not allowed outside for seven weeks. So no playing in parks, uh, no taking a walk, uh, no exercise outside for the family. Um, and we were not able to go outside together as a family as well. So when we went to go do those essential services, uh, we had to travel with a grocery bag. We had to travel with a grocery list. We needed to have uh, what we needed to get from the pharmacy. We needed to have a reason to go. And something that was very different as well is uh, these were not recommendations. This was enforced. That's and, a really important yeah. point. Like we, some people would say, yeah, we had all that here. The reality is here it was a, a recommendation from the state they closed non-essential businesses, but it quickly became clear that almost any business could qualify as essential for that stretch. You couldn't do indoor dining, dining for a few weeks, um, but generally you could still get takeout food and um, enjoy a lot of services. And we're free to travel back and forth from Green Bay to Milwaukee. Dave and I were just talking about this with the Pulse the other day. Our paper is printed in Madison. Mm. And I had actually kind of forgotten about this, but in those early days, we were trying to figure out what kind of documentation we were going to need to give our drivers so that they could go pick up the paper in Mm -hmm. Madison and actually cross county lines. We thought it would be that strict. Like, okay, this is essential. Newspaper is essential business. So we're going to have to figure out all these steps so that I could go cover things and carry the right documentation. And none of that actually ever Mm -hmm. took place. There was nothing ever like that. But in your case, all these things were actually punishable. Right. Uh, at a minimum, you would get a slap on the wrist. Um, you would get a 100 euro ticket, so around $120 ticket, or you could be jailed. So um, they were putting people in jail for short periods of time for having parties, um, small groups, and people grumbled, of course. This is a huge change to go from this uh, Mediterranean culture where people spend a lot of time getting vermouths on terraces and things like that and, <laughs> and uh, spending a lot of time with family. Spaniards are very... Uh, family oriented, where you are not allowed to um, see family members. You, if, if you had a second home, uh, you could only stay in your primary residence. I know that's a, a big issue here and something that uh, folks were thinking a lot about in Door County. If, if folks that have a second residence are coming up here and, and spending time here, uh, and that was to avoid that strain on those resources in, in different areas. And uh, so there were uh, police checkpoints, there were blockades. Anytime we would leave the house, we're on a fairly busy street. 
near the large train station in Madrid. And we always saw police and checkpoints. And uh, going from a very, very busy city of 4 million people to seeing just completely empty streets was uh, very different and and very surprising. Uh, Very good for the environment, (laughs) 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 but quite a a different thing. And so for about 50 days, that was our our life where myself or my husband would go outside about once a week. um, And the the rapid rise of the cases of covid we we sort of changed to oh this is so different and and uh you know we don't necessarily like this to us having a little bit of fear of going outside that we would bring covid um into our homes and into our apartment buildings so i think that was you, something as well if you go back to those days obviously the first china gets hurt, hit first mm-hmm. there's the the videos of people panicking uh, trying to get uh yeah. seen by doctors and that was the first kind of time when I was like, is this real? Or right. is this kind of like, like a Hollywood movie? Are these fake mm-hmm. videos? And then, and that was back in January. But then like my mind goes back to all the other virus scares where you go, okay, they're going to make a big deal about the swine flu and stuff. And then it's just never going to get here. Yeah. But, and I think that was the collective national approach for a mm-hmm. long time, which is sad that it was the same as my stupid reaction. But <laughs> um, the, then in Italy, they they were the first European country to Correct. really get slaughtered mm-hmm. by this. And then Spain got hit yeah. shortly thereafter. And it's important to note, like, they had that huge flare-up. But I, I was looking at it, Spain has a population of about 47 million mm-hmm. people. Um, I think a, a little under 300,000 cases mm-hmm. reported total and about 28,000 deaths. But a lot of those deaths were very early on. They had a huge spike. Yep. And now they're, they're reporting uh, less than 10 deaths a day for for much of the last three to four weeks so really like the the distancing and things have really hammered it down i'm curious what is what was the reaction there um here it's been very politicized um it's been seen as a right left thing Mm. with the the department of public health um even at the local level now um but in talking to my brother in belgium it does not seem like it's been nearly that politicized in that country. And I'm, I'm curious if it was in Spain as well. Definitely not. Uh, I, I was so surprised when I was reading about that. I had kind of a, huh, I, I just had such a hard time understanding, um, why someone's personal, uh, freedom or right would, would sort of, uh, Trump you know, public health and and safety. And we just didn't see that at all in Spain. Um, Of course, it took huge getting used to uh, to wearing a mask outside. But even today and probably until the end of 2020, masks are required for anyone uh, over the age of six, I believe. And children are recommended to wear it between three and six. So my two-year-old son will not keep a mask on to save his life, but we do have one for him. Uh, But anytime we go out of the house, we always have a mask on. I wear a mask outdoors. Um, I've been wearing a mask anytime I'm anywhere in in Door County at this point in time. You arrived in our office with a mask with a a nice package of wipes and sanitizer and wipe down your headphones and taking all the steps to... To just be cautious, which I'm sure is something that's really heavy on your mind in coming back to the U.S. Um, maybe tell me a little bit about how you guys have approached it, because I'm sure at this point listening to this, people are like, why did she even come here if she's coming from Spain? <laughs> now, on the flip side, Spain has long since gone from 
handling this very poorly to handling it very well. So very well. Um, if, we if have, anything, you might be bringing some health into our country. <laughs> but what did you do to make sure that you were safe and that um, you didn't risk bringing this to anybody over here? And like, how how heavy was that on your mind? Yeah, I mean, we had a lot of uh, questions about whether to travel, when to travel, how to travel, um, those types of things. We our, our son was born in Spain. We really want him to have a close relationship with his family. And so we've been trying to come back every couple of years. And, and as I mentioned, we had booked this trip well before this had happened. Uh, and many flights, many things were canceled. So we didn't really have a choice um, in terms of that. But our goal was to stay as healthy as we could. So even as things started loosening up, loosening up in, in Spain, so around day 50 of of 100 days of state of emergency, they gave us a timetable of times that we could exercise. So we were able to go out and exercise for one hour, one adult at a time, between 10 and noon. And <laughs> our son was able to go outside up to one kilometer from our house for one hour a day with one parent. So we had very, very strict opening up um, rules. And again, something that I really liked about how uh, – how strict and how regimented Spain was about this, the entire country was doing this. And they were looking at numbers. Uh, so we had a de-escalation plan, a five-stage de-escalation plan. And while we were in that very strict lockdown, it was stage zero. But they looked at how many beds were available. What were the numbers? Had we flattened the curve? Uh, you know, what was happening in each region to see if those regions would move to um, stage one? And so even after things started loosening up in Spain, we still followed many of those um, strict requirements, and we created very small corona bubbles. I'm sure you guys <laughs> have um, heard this term. And so the people that we had seen right before the lockdown, uh, some of the other expat families that we know with children that either go to the same daycare with my son, um, we would see them briefly outside, uh, those types of things. We didn't go to a, we didn't go into a restaurant. Uh, we didn't go into a bar. We didn't go inside anywhere, um, in, in Spain, uh, before this trip, because our goal was to come here, um, and to continue that healthful manner that we were doing, because we found that that would be the best way that we could see our family and be respectful to all of the people that we were going to be encountering, which, is very few because we're <laughs> hanging out on a, a small uh, farm in Sister Bay. So we've been doing very, very little, uh, very, very little of, uh, of of seeing things in, in Door County. And then once you arrived here, you quarantined for 14 days. Correct. Um, and now have only started to branch out and I think you said you attended a baseball game yesterday. Yeah. I did. I did attend a baseball game. You came all the way from so Spain to <laughs> attend a uh Shadow County League baseball game because it's not right. actually County League. I That's think. right. Yeah. Sister um, Bay Bay. We're Sister Bay Bay's fans. Sorry to say that sitting in Bailey's <laughs> Harbor. So we chose we chose this side. Uh, so again, just the change of, of the language um, and the political politicization of the mask wearing was just so odd to me because it was uh, after such a long period of time of after 100 days and of having people in our building who were sick and of having um, in-laws who had passed away and and uh, people who were sick in our our family and, you know, people that we knew, colleagues who had gotten sick and had to self-quarantine away from their families in a small apartment in order to not infect other people. This was really serious to us. We, we saw the 
uh, the deaths. We saw that there were not enough beds in Spain to care for the people that were sick. And, uh, you know, so we we really took that to heart when we made the decision whether or not we wanted to to travel. And so we had had some friends that traveled to the United States before us. There were very, very limited flights um, from Spain to the United States. And there was only one flight from Madrid to the United States, and that's through Dallas. And we had a friend who flew that. And she had told us that the CDC was doing some checks. Um, but again, the language is recommended. Uh, so the CDC, as soon as we got off the plane, there were several uh, CDC folks that were checking our temperatures. We had to fill in an extra form about our health, where we were staying, so they could track us a little bit. Um, and it was very simple. It was very quick. But but what they said to us, we recommend that you quarantine for 14 days. And I was just so surprised um, by that language and the fact that it wasn't tracked in a way that uh, would really help to prevent um, you know, any further spread of COVID. It re really relied on you being a good actor. Absolutely. And I think you said, what was their follow-up then? So they recommend the quarantine for 14 days. Is there any further communication? Do they check in with you every day to make sure how you're moving about and what what you're practicing? Nothing. I mean, no, no check in. Um, one thing that we did receive. So I, I, I was impressed that they did actually contact the address that we wrote down was our, our family's contact um, in in uh, central Wisconsin. And we did receive a letter from their county health department just saying, again, we recommend that you do these things if you're sick. Don't go outside. Uh, but again, these are all recommendations. How, when did that letter arrive? <laughs> Ten days after we arrived. So, and so that's a letter. There's no phone call or no phone call. Nothing. Uh, we were given a you know small piece of paper of things to do. But again, those were things that we were already doing well beyond in Spain uh, because of our very very strict lockdown. There was nothing that said uh, we want to limit the amount of people that are on the streets. We want to create more opportunities for social distancing. So we only want one member of a family to go outside. There really wasn't anything that said that. And there were the there were no mask wearing requirements when you go indoors. We require or recommend that you wear a mask. That wasn't written on there. Um, none of the above. And so I know that we are going well above and beyond the the CDC recommendations, both for our health, our family's health, and anyone uh, anyone's health that we come into counter with. What has it been like to go from Spain to coming home to Wisconsin and particularly in Door County, um, the practices, you coming from a place where everyone's wearing a mask to what are you seeing here? Uh, I'm seeing a lot of uh, mask wearing in businesses, which I love, and I don't know if that is required or recommended. Um, the way that I broke my uh, my quarantine was that I had uh, a, a cocktail with my sister uh, at an outdoor uh, a bar, and I love that the staff at that bar, they all had uh, marketed the, the company's name on the side of the mask, so I thought that was super cool. And I asked them if they were selling them, and they said, no, we should sell them. And I said, I certainly I cannot be the first person yeah. that has asked you this. This seems like a fabulous idea uh, in order to in order to sell these. But I've been pretty shocked um, about the number of tourists that I see walking into places. Um, we have a, a, a condo at, at one of the lodges um, up here in Northern Door as well, and I've been shocked. Uh, you know, when we walk through the, the front desk area, the number of guests that are not wearing masks. Um, and again, I. I 
even if you uh, don't think that you're sick, I think that it shows a sign of solidarity that you care about the health of the people in Door County that are working hard um, to give you this great 4th of July weekend. They've stayed open. They've opened. Um, and for me, it's just such a sign of respect when I go into a place, um, you know, to show that you really care about these folks. Uh, I would say the, so again, we've only been in essential services up until yesterday. So um, I've been in two gas stations, uh, one not in Door County, but one in the way up here uh, from from Milwaukee and uh, one grocery store here in Door County, 100% mask usage in the grocery store. It did feel like pandemic shopping uh, because it was 4th of July weekend. So <laughs> yeah. there was no bread on the shelves, you know, <laughs> no spotted cow beer, you know, no, it was it was pretty sold out. Uh, but I was very disappointed in one of the gas stations that I went to that none of the staff were wearing masks. And I only saw two or three of the patrons um, wearing them as well. And that that was probably in a red area. And uh, that's really where I felt that divide um, quite a bit, that it felt very politicized. And uh, there as we have been outside a, a little bit here, um, there was a point that we got some glares from a couple people for wearing our our paper masks, which are, you know, as close to uh, medically uh, protective as can be. Uh, you're not supposed to reuse masks. You're only supposed to wear them for a couple hours. I actually brought back 100 masks with me from Spain because I wasn't sure how many I could get. Uh, and so we did get some glares from folks that are thinking, what are you trying to prove by wearing a mask outside Yeah, kind of vibe. Um, but beyond that, um, I, honestly, in Door County, that's the most mask wearing that I've seen. I haven't been um, south of Milwaukee yet, so I can't tell you, but uh, certainly in that region, um, north of there, and then away up here, not a lot of mask usage. But um, in in the the few businesses that I've seen or been by, very very good mask usage by the staff, and so I think people are people are taking it seriously at that level. Um, my uh, and you used this term before we got on the air. My in laws used the same term when they came up here from Chicago after being locked down. Um, they were in a very hardcore lockdown because they had two grandchildren born in the last three months. Yeah. So they were like, we're going to see our grandkids. Right. So what do we need to do? And we're like, well, you need to lock down. So they, they did and they came up and their first words when they saw us, they said, wow, it is a wild west in Wisconsin. And so we think we've been in this hardcore lockdown and even one state South, they feel like, wow, Wisconsin is wide open. And you coming from Europe, yeah. get that, you use that same terminology. I think we've been maybe in Wisconsin a little fortunate in that places like Minnesota, Illinois, and Michigan have had some pretty serious mm. lockdowns that we didn't have to go quite as hardcore maybe to get the same results or even better results because um, we benefited from kind of this cocoon around yeah. us and then we have the lake. So there's just fewer coming and going. Yeah. Maybe. That's a, my, my genius epidemiologist <laughs> theory. Um, you know, Spain now has largely controlled the outbreak although now with just a few like a, a small uptick in a couple of regions they have completely locked those regions down right. again mm -hmm. i just was reading that a couple of days ago so an, an example of like the level of serious they take like you'll hear a lot of our representative joel kitchens says this a lot the goal is always just to flatten the curve not to eradicate yep. the virus other countries have said no the goal is to eradicate the virus and then we can return our economy and that's like spain has tamped it down to like a handful of deaths a day so that things could open up reliably and really come up with a plan for the future. 
we're several months in. I don't think we really have a plan as evidenced by you coming in and that, that the follow-up would be just a letter 10 days later from the CDC, from somebody coming from a foreign country, right. let alone. So that what kind of confidence does that give us? Considering how much we've reduced travel from foreign countries right now, it, it just doesn't give me a lot of confidence to know that like we are we have an apparatus to track this and we're not using it. Yeah. And, and contact trace and make sure that somebody isn't doing like you, you're taking this very seriously. A lot of people are not. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, like, are you worried at all about going back to Spain, about whether you'll be let back in after traveling to the United States? Of course. I mean, that was definitely one of our one of our concerns. And um, many expat families uh, do the same thing that we do. They they travel abroad every summer back to the United States or whatever their country of origin is. Um, and I would say probably close to 50 percent of the families that we knew that were planning to come back this summer either had their flights canceled or they postponed or canceled their trips for precisely those reasons. Reasons We were very, very concerned about the the health perspective. Um, there were uh, a lot of things happening in the United States uh, right before we we decided to travel with the uh, the murder of George Floyd and the protests that were surrounding that as well. So there was a lot of uncertainty. Um, every time that we've come back to the United States, our experience has been more negative. Uh, in terms of our border crossing um, hmm. coming into the United States. Um, we can definitely talk more about that. But what we experienced moving away eight years ago and coming back, we've got a hello, welcome, welcome home, welcome back to the United States. And, and we don't necessarily feel that anymore. So those were definitely our biggest concerns. But of course, going back into Spain um, is a huge concern for us. We uh, we have long-term residency, so we should be allowed in. Um we had a really, really bad experience crossing um, into the United States as American citizens. So I think a lot of that privilege that I've always experienced and that right that I feel that I have to cross borders safely and without question, I think, um, has been taken away from me. And I think that we we definitely could experience problems um, traveling you, back to Spain. You care to describe your experience <laughs> of coming into the United States? Sure. Uh, I, I can share it briefly. Um so my my husband and I are both um, American citizens, U.S. born American citizens. My son is an American citizen um, by blood, by birth, even though he was born on, on foreign soil. And we actually all have um, global entry, which means that we have gone through a pretty strict um, Department of Homeland Security uh, background check. We had to be interviewed uh, they did a background check, police background check, um, you know, just to make sure that we were, uh, you know, had no criminal background, those types of things, which means that we should be afforded the right to cross the borders very, very quickly and without any issues. So we had been traveling um, from from Madrid to Dallas, again, the only flight. And uh, when we got to the, the, the border patrol, we went into the very quick, supposedly quick global entry lines. Um, and, you know, the gentleman, uh, the, the border patrol officer who was supposed to be helping us uh, spent a very, very long time rerunning our passports over and over again, asking us to remove our masks. Didn't say anything else to us. He handed us back our uh, our son's passport, and then he asked us to follow him. And we were taken into detention in the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. And 
I think I was in such shock. I was so scared in this experience um, that I didn't think to ask the officer's name. Um, you're not allowed to use your phone at that time. So you're really stuck in this sort of scary limbo airport jail where you don't know what's happening. So then he goes back to a further locked room and we are sitting in this room that is being videoed, that is being recorded. There's a large microphone hanging over our heads and there are all of these signs that say, it is a felony to assault a border patrol officer. You keep seeing this over and over again as if they're almost provoking you to do such a thing. And <laughs> at this point in time, we've been traveling with a toddler for 15 hours. We're very tired. <laughs> we've lost a night of sleep and we're sitting there. No one is paying attention to us. We can see the entire border patrol staff sitting through the bulletproof glass on the other side. They're jovial. They're cracking jokes with each other. No one is speaking to us. No one has asked us a single thing. No one has asked us a question. No one has said, please take a seat. We're going to look something over. This is the reason that we're holding you. We have a couple more questions we'll get back to in this amount of time. My husband is Mexican-American, so he speaks uh, Spanish with our son. I speak English with our son. Um, I have quite a large uh, passport book. I've done a lot of travel for work, my work at the, the World Bank and other organizations to, to Asia and Africa. Um, and we don't know. We, we don't know why we were detained or, or why we were withheld, but I, I see my, my very patient and very kind husband really just getting very upset as he should. And, and I'm just so scared about the situation. So finally an officer passes us and I, you know, I ask him if, if he could help us, if he could tell us what's going on, you know, we've been waiting for a while. So he directs us to a supervisor that's sitting behind again, this, this glass. And so I go to speak to the supervisor. It's as if he had not even seen us sitting there. He had not paid any attention to a family of three U.S. citizens that were sitting in his detention room with a two-year-old child. And he says, well, whose passports did they take? And I said, both of ours. And he said, are you U.S. citizens? Yes, we are. Are you U.S. born? Yes, we are. And he leaves and comes back with our passports five minutes later. And he we're never given any explanation. We were never given any, any reason why we were detained. Uh, you know, essentially what he said to us was, well, due to the current administration's proclamations, we are able to do more screenings. We don't know what those screenings are. We don't know what those screenings were for. We don't know why we were flagged. We don't know if we will be flagged again in the future for more checks as well. But our kind of takeaway from this was, if this is how you treat U.S. citizens re-entering their country, how are you treating visitors to our country? It was a really scary and just horrifying experience for us. Yeah, I'd imagine that's, that's going to be very unnerving. And then you're sitting there not knowing exactly where this is going to go. Is this going to be a 24-hour thing? Is this going to be, uh, are we going to be sent back <laughs> after that travel? Um we couldn't contact anyone. Uh, if we had missed our flight, who would have told my family what had happened? How would they have gotten in touch with anyone? Something we were so frightened about the later that we thought about is that they didn't separate us. What if they had put us into mm. separate rooms as well? Where would our son have gone? Um, you know, what would he have done? Did we have enough food for him? Did we have enough diapers for him? These types of things. So the whole experience was just very, very unnerving. And it, it really 
made me very, very sad and embarrassed that that is how people are treated um, entering our country. And uh, we we just hope it never happens again. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that has to be. And then you think of like, at the end of the day, you at least have the the fallback in your head of going, okay, but I know we are American citizens. So at this, at some point, they're going to figure that out. And but then you think of like, what if, what if you aren't? And yeah. what is, you, you don't have that like safety net. Um, I have two siblings who are both, uh, their significant others are from foreign countries. Mm-hmm. And we worry about that when they come and go as well. Yeah. Um, in, and they, they've expressed their fears of, of traveling and, and wanting to come and go from the United States like they used to. Yeah. Um, on a different note, you you did mention that coming up here, and you, you mentioned that your husband is Mexican mm-hmm. Mexican American. Your some of your first adult experiences in Door County were working at a pretty sketchball restaurant <laughs> for some. Uh, I use the term boss loosely here. Uh, that would there be, were a lot of dough balls being thrown. That's the, <laughs> that's what I remember. <laughs> Thankfully, people weren't as quick to file lawsuits back in the day. Um, back when uh, you were working for me at Dano's pizzeria um short-lived but (laughs) but revered pizza restaurant um what a great experience a a staff of 30 (laughs) kids all under the age of about 22 um anyway before we go down that huge rabbit hole um you've seen in your visits coming back each time maybe a a change in tone in door county maybe for you know some people come up here and they, they they recognize development and things but you mentioned that you have recognized something else and for the better Mm. Yeah, it was it was really nice to see uh, one of our first things that we saw when we drove in uh, were the Black Lives Matter protests happening. We saw those a couple days um, and that made us feel very welcome. And it is heartening and wonderful to see that even though our welcome into Dallas Fort Worth Airport uh was terrible. Our our entry into Door County was so welcoming and and so wonderful. And something else that we had noticed, um, you know, there have always been uh, Latinos, Mexicans, people of color that have come up here that have worked here. But it was so wonderful to see uh, so much more of Door County and the wonderful place that it is being opened up to uh, new families to experience this. And and something that my husband had pointed out to me is when we were uh, walking by Sister Bay Beach, there was a large Mexican family uh, doing a carne asada. So a nice um, taco barbecue right on the beach. And it was just so lovely to see. And it, it really made him feel very welcome. Uh, so in the 10 years that we've been together, that was never something that he had seen before. And so made him um, feel very happy and very welcome that, uh, you know, other Mexicans, other Mexican Americans were discovering and enjoying Door County. So that's something that I've definitely seen, um, you know, from coming here even two years ago to this this year as well. And so that, that was very nice. So there were a couple very, very welcoming points that I have experienced and, and my family has experienced come here. And I, I know that's the reason why we will continue to come here for years to come. I think um, I thought it was noteworthy when you said that just because you, you think of like I am I've said this before on the podcast. I'm about as average white boy as you can be. <laughs> and you can take a lot of things for granted at that point and not notice like, oh, that that thing that would just be something I pass by to somebody else. Seeing someone else like them or seeing those protest signs. To me, I read that as like, all right, what does that mean from a news standpoint? What does that mean from a political standpoint to somebody else? It says you're welcome here. 
Um, yeah, we absolutely. support you. Your neighbors um, believe in, in sticking up for you. And mm-hmm. I've talked to a couple of different um, black individuals who have said that same thing. Like, hey, I'm not going to go to the corner and protest, but it does make me feel better that my community cares. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the average white guy, I can take all those things for granted because I don't need that reassurance because, right. you know, society and the system that we have here does that for me every yeah. in every encounter and when I apply for a loan or all these all these mm-hmm. other things that I don't have to think about. Um, so I think that is important to to just reinforce. I know we got some we had a bunch of articles in about Pride Month in our in an issue a couple of weeks ago. And we had some people say, uh, stop sending your your advocacy newspaper to my mailbox. I don't want to see all this gay dot dot dot. Mm-hmm. And hopefully there are a lot of other people who are seeing that. And those are the ones I personally care about more. The ones seeing that saying, Hey, I'm welcome here. Absolutely. And hopefully I I know just as someone who's lived in Door County for a long time, that at least with the LGBTQ community, it's much more welcoming than it was 20 years ago. Of course. Um, And hopefully it becomes more that way for everybody. eventually. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great place to come. Um, I knew that this was on my my list of places that myself as a fourth generation coming up to Door County, I wanted the fifth generation, my son and his cousins to to experience. And I want my husband to feel I want my husband to feel comfortable speaking Spanish to our son. I want my, we spoke Spanish um, this morning at Pebble Beach and a woman said, ¿Quieres tocar el perro? to my son. And she said, do you want to pet the dog? And so it was really sweet to see another stranger, another family who heard us speaking Spanish and then knew to speak Spanish to my son. And so that says something that makes it feel very, very welcoming um, to different communities. So I, I remember what I wanted to say. So however you want to cut this back in, um, if, if even if you use this or not, uh, but you know, you talked a little bit about your privilege of things that you don't need to think about. And I think um, that is something that's happening with the, the the current Black Lives Matter movement that has taken a lot of hold. And we've only shared this experience um, coming into Dallas with a handful of people. And the our white friends that we've shared it with are horrified. They keep saying it to us over and again, but you're American but you're American, like as if that should be enough that you should always be treated, that you have the right to come in at any point in time. And our friends of color, our Mexican friends, our black friends said, this is nothing new. This has happened to me hmm. when I drive in from Canada. I have people who touch my my hair every time that I come in. They're patting me down for drugs every single time. This is something that happens to many Americans all the time. This is something that happens to many people all the time. So our experience is not that bad. It's not new. And it's something that happens to people of color, to black people, to Latino people, to brown people all the time. So I should not be shocked by this. I should not be surprised by this. Um, but it definitely did shake um, some of my sense of of uh, what it means to be an American, my, my pride that I have for being an American um, abroad as well. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, and I'm sad that you had to go through it and, and even more sad that so many other people have to go through it and just all the accept it as like, all right, this is the process of traveling. It's right. like a two out of five times, something like that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and we've, we've got to make that better. Um, well, we've gone on quite a ways now. So I'm going <laughs> to, I could talk to you all day and especially talk to you about Husbies and Danos, but that should probably be not recorded for public <laughs> consumption. Um, 
We'll talk about that offline. Yeah. <laughs> but thanks so much for, for hopping on the podcast and talking about your experiences. One of the things that hopefully we are doing with this podcast and with our newspaper is bringing different experiences. And the cool thing about Door County is we have so many people who come from so many different places and or who go off and do so many different things or work here for a few summers and keep a connection the way you have while also bringing in your experiences doing something much different um, than you might have done as a, as a waitress or a waiter or a bartender in your youth. Um, so thanks a lot. And I, I think we're really lucky to have voices like this on our podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I just wanted to say that uh, my husband and I think of ourselves as uh, global ambassadors to Door County because we've talked it up so much abroad that our friends from Denmark and Ecuador and certainly my in-laws from Mexico and Mexican-American in-laws um, have traveled here as well. So so <laughs> we're going to we're going to keep bringing more people to Door County because it's it's such a wonderful and special place. Um, there's no place like it in the world. So thanks for having me, Miles. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.